0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. Hey, I want to introduce you to uh, a mentor of sorts of mine. Although I never personally met this man, his work, along with the work of his daughter and many others, was my introduction to Christian involvement in domestic violence and intervention. The Reverend Bob Owens was a retired Presbyterian Church USA pastor. He served in churches in Hawaii, Kentucky, North North Carolina, Texas, California, and England. Bob is most well-known in our circles as a survivor as well as an advocate. He, along with his daughter Julie, survived a brutal assault by her then-estranged husband. Pastor Bob, the Sunday after the attack, with I believe it was 40 stitches in his forehead, had an honest and frank conversation with his church about how he was hurting his daughter was hurting and how the body of Christ could respond to the issue of domestic violence. Bob became an early adopter of welding and mending and drawing together Christian ministry with domestic violence advocacy. And honestly, of all my interaction with Christian, quote-unquote, experts at the time, as I first came into the work, Reverend Owens, Pastor Bob, was somebody that I resonated with immediately. And again, while I never met the man, he became kind of a father uh, of the work to me as I read what little bit I could find uh, and interacted with um, the information that was available from him through places like sojourners, or peace and safety in the Christian home. I've since become friends with his daughter, Julie. I admire her work greatly, and with her permission, wanted to take some time just to pay tribute uh, to one of these men that I admire and somebody who's done a tremendous amount of work to blaze the trail, as it were, for Christian pastors like myself. So over the next two episodes, we're going to play segments from a sermon by Pastor Bob Entitled Shining a Light on the Ministry of Shepherding. This was delivered at a conference in 2013 uh, on domestic abuse in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Please enjoy this first part, part one of Shining a Light on the Ministry of Shepherding.
1: Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, our strengthener, the guarantee of our salvation, and the power that binds us together in a fellowship of love in the body of Christ. Perhaps the most important thing that Jesus said about his church was, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. This event, of course, has been undergirded with prayer every day. But let us continue to pray today that uh, we will have ears to hear. Please pray with me. Loving and gracious God, our Creator, our Redeemer, God of all justice, God of all comfort, God of all grace, we thank you for bringing us together today. It is not by accident that we're here we're one in spirit I trust united in the same mind and with the same purpose and hopefully with the same passion to do all we can do to help end the scandal and the scourge of domestic violence we're a people too well acquainted with the problem of abuse. Some of us are survivors. Some of us have loved ones who have been victims of family violence. All of us have a story, I'm sure, and we can be encouraged by each other's story, by each other's experiences by each other's insights. We can learn from each other. We need each other. And hopefully when we leave here today, we will be eager to speak with one voice when speaking out and when speaking up to help break this silence that has crippled our witness as Christians for too long. We represent different churches, but uh, all of us are seeking insights, wisdom that will help us to be more helpful, more compassionate, more comforting. Deliver us, O God, from words not spoken in the past and for risk not taken and for help not given. Forgive us for being inactive when we should have served and grant us today and in days to come the kind of faith and the kind of courage that we need to join hands and hearts to let the light of our lives shine in the darkness where domestic violence lurks. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray in faith and in hope and also with great thanksgiving, amen. Good morning. morning. It is a very good morning. The Bible says, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Our theme today is abuse only survives in the dark. So shine a light. And this is our common calling as followers of Jesus who said you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The God we believe in is the God who not only created all things by the power of his word who spoke the worlds into being and who created us in his own image male and female and breathed into each of us a part of himself but he created us for a special purpose he created us to know him to love him to worship him, to serve him, and to enjoy perfect fellowship with him, and to glorify him forever. But he also created us for loving, satisfying, and fulfilling human relationships, and most especially the relationship of marriage and family life. But the God we believed in is not just a God of love. He is a God who hates abuse. He is a God who hates evil in all of its forms. He is the God who hates the sin that intimidates and alienates and separates those of us in the human family who are supposed to love one another. The sin that causes so much pain and so much human suffering. I want to emphasize in the beginning that God we believe in is not a God who afflicts his children with suffering, but rather a God who suffers with us. And that is the whole meaning of the cross. God is on the side of those who suffer unjustly, especially those who are victims of oppression, domination, and abuse we need to remember that jesus himself was a victim of abuse those of you who have been betrayed jesus was betrayed those of you who have been spat upon jesus was spat upon those of you who have been beaten jesus was beaten those of you who have been stabbed jesus was stabbed Suffice it to say that Jesus himself was a victim, but on his part, it was a matter of will. It was for us. The God we believe in is a God who has called us as his people to do justly, to show mercy. And to walk humbly with God in lowly paths of service. The God we believe in is the God who has called us from darkness to light. And calls us to walk in the light as he is in the light. No one can read the New Testament without realizing that there is a close connection between Jesus and light. In the prologue to the Gospel of John, the beloved disciple tells us that the eternal Christ came into the world as light, as light in the darkness. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Those who hate the light do not come to the light. They prefer the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and those who follow me will never walk in darkness or live in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he told his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel and..." where it hides but puts it on a lampstand and it gives light to all around. Also the apostle John says in his first letter to the church, this is the message we have heard and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we still walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. I've been a pastor for 60 years and since my retirement from full-time pastoral ministry in 1993, I've been serving as an interim pastor and I've seen firsthand, having completed nine interims that There is a very serious crisis of pastoral leadership in the ministry of caregiving in North American Christianity. That is the practice of pastoral ministry as shepherding. And that's why I have chosen the subject shining the light on the ministry of shepherding. At this stage in my own ministry I have one sustaining passion, I want to finish well. And the older I get, the more convinced I am that there is only one thing that will count when we stand before our Lord, not only as our savior, but as our judge. And I want every pastor who is present today, I do not know how many pastors are present, but those of you who are ministers of the word and the sacraments, we too will be judged. And when we stand before the chief shepherd who will be our judge, our titles won't matter. Senior pastor, head of staff, whatever we like to be called, I knew one pastor who said with tongue in cheek, I hope, I want to be the prime minister. (laughs) Our degrees won't matter when we stand before the judge. Our BDs, our THMs, our DMs, our PhDs. The only thing that will matter is the WD, well done. My good and faithful servant. I want to ask each of you who are pastors, are you taking time to get acquainted with the sheep who are entrusted to your care? One of the greatest compliments I ever heard a pastor paid was to a young pastor in Memphis, Tennessee when a member of the church said to me, he listens with enthusiasm. Most of us as preachers talk enthusiastically, but how many of us take time to listen enthusiastically to the stories that the sheep of God's flock entrusted to us want to share? Do you have time When the members of your church who are hurting want to see you and want to talk with you, are you too busy to be bothered? Many pastors are. I've seen it. I have no right to judge, but I do have the right to exhort and to rebuke, which is a biblical admonition. Jesus is our model for ministry. And I'm impressed with the fact that he was never too busy. One person was a great audience to Jesus. He did not seek the crowds, the crowds sought him. And when he looked out upon the crowds, he didn't see a crowd, he saw individuals. He was moved with compassion, he saw individuals who were Harassed and helpless, who were wounded and weary, and as he himself said, who were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said the harvest is plentiful. How often we interpret that evangelistically instead of pastorally? He said pray for more laborers. Look at the context. What kind of laborers? Shepherd laborers. We must ask the question, why has the church been among the last institutions to respond to the crisis of domestic violence? I want to suggest a few possible answers today. We are a trusting people. We know and trust most of the people in our congregations and we want to believe that they are good people. It's hard for us to believe that there are any victims of domestic violence in our own congregations. That would mean that someone we know well, someone we believe in, someone we trust is an abuser. We're not only trusting, we're also welcoming. We want to believe that everyone who attends our churches, everyone who visits our churches, everyone who joins our churches, are authentic Christians, truly committed to Christ, and truly seeking to live a Christian life, a devout and godly life. That's what we want to believe. And so we are welcoming and there's no screening committee in our churches to keep people out. And sometimes abusers join and they use the church as a hiding place. We're also forgiving. We have convinced ourselves that even if there are some in our churches who are abusive, surely that abuse is not so serious. Furthermore, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of forgiveness. When Peter asked Jesus, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. Seven is the biblical number for perfection. He said, no, 70 times seven. And perhaps our discomfort with confronting anyone who has been accused of abuse makes us want to forgive the accused and just move on. We want to get the matter behind us once and for all. We want to avoid confrontation, conflict. We do not want to create any division or discord in the church. So it becomes very easy for us as pastors to say something like forgive and forget. And you know a lot of people think that's a biblical statement, but it's not. It comes right out of Shakespeare. (laughs) King Lear to be specific. Forgive and forget. That's not a biblical statement. I want to say that it is impossible to forgive and forget if you're an abuser. I mean if you're an abused person that's what I meant to say. Uh, or we might uh, file it away in the subconscious. Maybe even push it down to the unconscious level. But it will raise its head from time to time. It was hard for me to watch that. Video. I was keeping my fingers in my ears for the most part because those bad memories do surface. They're always there. They may be suppressed for a while, but they're still there. And for victims, some of those memories are so terrifying, they can cause bad dreams and nightmares. Victims live with the fear of being victimized again, perhaps. Forgiveness is something that should never be offered quickly. It's not something that comes without a price. The assurance of pardon should only be given following genuine repentance, which includes an undeniable change in an abuser's attitudes and actions and over an extended period of time. Don't forget that. Pastors must not be guilty No one in a leadership position in our churches should ever be guilty of extending what has been called cheap grace. Abusers often tell their victims that they're sorry for what they've said or done. We heard that on the video in Jessica's testimony. And they ask for forgiveness. They usually extend themselves at this time in order to convince They're victim of their sincerity. And this is part of what is known as the honeymoon phase, of course, in the cycle of violence, when they bring candy and flowers and gifts and give false hope to their victims. Abusers are master manipulators. When abusers offer apologies and seek forgiveness, asking their victims to give them another chance and to take them back, They always know what they want and how to get it. Don't you forget it. Abused women, as well as their families, need to understand that abusers are experts at playing the game of let's pretend. And if you accept this fact and uh, understand it, you're less likely to be misled and deceived by what my daughter Julie calls manipulative kindness. The advice Jesus gave to his disciples, I believe, is applicable. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Suffice it to say that all of us who are concerned for this scandal of domestic violence in our society, in our culture, and in our churches, uh, we should have a singleness of purpose. To discover the truth, to listen to stories, to believe victims, to have expectations that are realistic and to give the kind of advice and counsel that is helpful rather than hurtful. We should always remember that the violence must stop and the safety of victims should always be our first concern. Pastors should never give encouragement or support to abusers. Pastor Shepard should never forget that spouse abuse is not just a social problem, it's a spiritual problem. But don't confuse it with a marriage problem or suggest marriage counseling, as so many pastors do. Unless there is proof that the violence has stopped. And once again, for an expended extended period of time. Pastors, shepherds must always hold perpetrators responsible and accountable for their actions. It doesn't matter who they are, an elder, a deacon, one of the largest contributors in the church, it does not matter. They must be confronted and they must be challenged to change and they must be willing to participate In a batterer's intervention program, pastor shepherds should never accept an abuser's explanations or excuses or rationalizations for acts of violence. And this includes attempts by some abusive husbands or boyfriends who pose as godly men to search for some kind of biblical justification for the abuse of their wives or girlfriends, to keep them in line. They so often say we have these verses in the New Testament mandating submission. So what is wrong with Christian husbands or boyfriends in an intimate relationship to demand obedience. Boy, that's a favorite word. Pastor shepherds should never allow abusers to further victimize victims for selfish and destructive purposes. Those who enjoy taking Bible verses out of context and adding them to their arsenal of abusive weapons should always be reminded of those biblical passages that speak directly to husbands, such as the commands we have heard already. To love their wives as Christ loved the church when he gave himself up for her. To live considerately with their wife, treating her with respect, honoring her. And the apostle Peter says, lest your prayers be hindered. And so I always tell abusive men, if you have ever wondered why your prayers are not being answered, look at the way you treat your wife.